Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go to Thursday. This is our home, Silver 7's, throughout the year on Thursdays. John Von Tobel is the company. Angel is helping out with the setup here at Silver 7's. Flamingo and Paradise, 77-cent beers kick off when VGK starts a little later tonight. Home game, and we got TNF. That's when the 77-cent beers starts up. Every NFL game, every VGK game, 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra back in the Finley Toyota Studios. It is Ari. Let's get into it with the three. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Lots of Raiders, lots of VGK, lots of UNLV talk coming up in just a bit. But we start out with a big change in the National Football League. There are all these reports about this unbelievable snowfall that was headed towards Buffalo. And now the plug has been pulled by who? The Bills, the NFL. What's going on here? The National Football League has decided to move the game to the usual spot when things are moved to Detroit. So Bills and Browns will be relocated to a neutral site. They will play there this week. And um, that's pretty much it. Now this was uh, from, what, about an hour ago or so. Uh, let's see. Area is expected to get multiple feet of snow over the course of Thursday and through Saturday night. Thunder, other conditions expected. As we know, a team said that the decision to move the game from Highmark Stadium was done in, quote, consultation with the Buffalo Bills, local and state authorities, as the region prepares for the storm, end quote. So makes sense. Think logistics. Good move. Smart. It is. It's a is that the reaction from gambling Twitter and NFL fans in general, many of them anonymous? I have seen like overwhelmingly negative response to this. I have seen that soft by the National Football League. I have seen that it is NFL stands for no fun. We love snow games. Um, I I enjoy a good snow game too. In fact, Jacoby Brissett was set to uh, – it was some weird weather stat. But remember like, what, three years ago, Jacoby Brissett and the Colts went to Buffalo. It was a ridiculous snow game that they played in. The difference was the snow had already fallen. It wasn't continuous blizzard and as much. Um, I enjoy a snow game too. But I have not understood this overwhelmingly negative reaction to the NFL moving this. I also think people don't understand. You don't just show up to a stadium and play a football game. Like, there's a lot of logistics involved. Emergency services are tied up at the time as well. Like, there's a lot that goes into putting a football game on, and especially in the midst of a blizzard and storm. I was really surprised by people, like, coming at the NFL for this. By the way, also, odd scheduling quirk, the Buffalo Bills have consecutive games in Detroit. Man, if they weren't so close to Buffalo, they could stay in Detroit for like ten days. That'd be a good vacation. I think they. Pro- I mean, I would assume they do, right? Have you, have you been to Detroit? Come on, you're asking the wrong guy. I, I t- emailed you earlier. What is a TSA number? I'm yeah, that a, was weird. That was weird. You had no idea. Nothing. Known traveler number? Can I tell you? Really, you don't quick. have pre-check, so you don't you don't get to skip the line. You no. travel a lot, man. You should be getting. I've just got to get in when you when you do it because you're going to want to do it at some point. You want to do the double dip and get the. TSA pre-check and the Century for international. Okay, because I didn't do that, and I'm sure in the next five years you're going to travel internationally. You'll you'll thank me for that one. Get out at the same time though. My, my so my traveling has sp- like spiked in the last few weeks with the new jobs that I've been doing and everything like yeah. that. So I might look into it. Dude, Can if I you say- got to fly to New York, yeah, uh, JFK, Newark, LaGuardia, you're definitely going to want it because the lines at some of those places are like oh, it's, it's not the biggest deal here unless it's a crazy travel day. Mm-hmm. It's when you're coming back and you get to some airports and the freaking security line is still pure insanity. You get to zip, you know, mostly zip right through. So can I say really quickly, 
so the other day when I came back on uh, Tuesday, right, when I was on the show with you and I had just flown in from Fresno. So there were three lines when I got to security, right? And everybody was in a single line because none of them had pre-check. The very far line was TSA pre-check. The middle line was normal, but nobody realized that. And all of them misread the signs and thought it was TSA pre-check. So your boy got to skip the line because nobody was paying attention. Well, you got lucky. Proud of myself. Sherlock Holmes. Things are coming up roses for you. These are good times. They are. My family's not at home. It's eerily quiet. I get scared at night. So, But the wait, Bills wait, have moved wait. the game. Okay. You know what? That's, uh, that's going to go on our big four. I want to hear about this whole scary experience of, uh, of what should be a fun pass and quiet time, but for some reason uh, you're not enjoying it. But to go back to uh, Buffalo, the other thing that jabronis who are on Twitter who are calling the NFL a bunch of panties and the Bills a bunch of panties, like you mentioned, there are more important things in a community aside from a football game. Um, someone's got to clear the stadium, and if they can't do it, if you're a Bills fan, and I know driving to Detroit is not optimal, especially in the weather, but you got a little bit of a heads up here. I know it may seem like fun to sit in a snowy stadium. That ain't fun. Like if I bought season tickets, and you know it's like, hey, they're gonna maybe some of the seats will be cleared, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Like what? What are the odds they can clear the entire freaking stadium to make it comfortable? For all the Bills fans. That's the other thing. Like, what about the people who actually have to go to the game and get there safely and get out safely? Right. Well, and look, this is coming from somebody who I think is mildly ageist. That would be myself. If you're an older fan that wants to go and watch these games, I'm sure that can't be healthy for you if you're trying to sit in the middle of a snowstorm watching that, even as bundled up as you are with your thin blood and liver spots. It's uh, sitting there, and I do have liver spots and thin blood. Um, (laughs) And if you're sitting there, and then you got to move around, you you, like – like, I walk around like I'm 75 years old. Not, I don't mean like I'm hurting, but I, I am so careful. I don't want to break my ass falling down some stairs at <laughs> stupid Buffalo Stadium. Right. No, thank you. Did you see the other day? Like, by the way, that's why it sounds miserable. Did you watch it? It was the Central Michigan and whoever game. It was Just, last night. Yeah, last night. And I, ever, I, you know what's funny? At night, um, I'll try to watch some local news from different parts of the country. And, you know, just starting to watch the weather come in, Right is nuts. And the other part is every sports anchor, because I really don't get a chance to watch local TV. I guess I could have. But every sports anchor in their two minutes absolutely will include the Central Michigan, Western Michigan highlights. Right. And I saw him do it in New York. I saw him do it in L.A. Jim Hill in L.A. is like, look at the fun here. And then you, you watch the highlights. You're like, that's like it looks like fun. The game sucks. Well, yeah. And, and, and go back to the NFL. The Bills are in a competition. They're going to make the playoffs. They're in a competition to get the one freaking buy in the AFC, which is vital. You get to host the whole way in Buffalo, that's gigantic. Or you get to host the whole way in Kansas City with the noise there, that's gigantic. We're now going to play a stupid weather-conditioned game, and you look back on it and go, you know, Bill's lost that snow game. That's stupid. It is, especially when you look at the way their team is built. It is a benefit for Buffalo to play indoors against Cleveland. I would argue that in that snow, that benefited Cleveland more than it would have the Buffalo Bills with the way they want to run the ball and do the whole ball control thing. So now you're in a controlled climate. You can run, you know, fast show on turf if you want to call it that. I think it benefits Buffalo tremendously. And also, just a real quick thing, because watching that East, that uh, Central Michigan game last night, the other part about it is, and I get right, these, heat, these fields are heated, I guess, to a certain extent, but... Like, I watched there was a punt return in that game where a kid it looked like took, like, an innocuous fall and hit his head on the ground. That ground's, like, rock solid. And guess what? It looked like he got concussed and he needed help off Tough the field. Tough it up, buttercup. Right. Like, that's the other thing. Like, it's for these guys' benefit as well. 
pansies. I would be out there. No, you, you haven't been to a game in 20 years. Shut up, <laughs> jackass on, on Twitter or wherever else. Cut it out. Yeah, so Buffalo, no game there. Browns, Bills in Detroit, and then next week, Buffalo in Detroit. All right. So we got to get to a little Dan Campbell later in the show. Uh, coming up, let's get to a little more follow-up now because uh, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Josh McDaniels has spoken this week, the beginning of the week. Started out in crazy form, really embarrassing for the uh, re- embarrassing week for the Raiders with Carr crying after the game. Then someone planting a story with uh, Vinny from Raider Nation Radio 920 in the RJ about you know Waller's the guy that people are unhappy with, and then you got Mark Davis, the owner, saying the coach is doing a fantastic job at two and seven. Well, they've all had a chance to speak, and we'll talk about what they said throughout a Thursday, Cofield and Company. But first. Giveaway time, 364-1100, John Fogarty's in town, CCR. He's got his solo hits as well. He's playing the win, Encore Theater. You can grab your own tickets at Ticketmaster.com. It's now through the 19th. That is the uh, show that we have tickets for. Ari's got a pair of tickets. John Fogarty, good, really good show, 364-1100, John Fogarty tickets. Call our seven right now. Bring a new and unwrapped toy to player services anytime between November 20th and December 12th and receive $10 in free slot play at Silver 7s. Proceeds benefit the Las Vegas Salvation Army. And for that to be the result of all that effort, pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what <clears throat> some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice. But they're putting their body just to sleep at night. Like, just so we can be there for each other. <laughs> and I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Derek Carr on Sunday. Have you seen a lot of people fixate on the comment in the middle there about what people are willing to put in their body? Yeah. Have you seen like national people concentrate on that, or I haven't seen any national people. I, I think, think most of the attention has now gone to fantastic job, Gate Mark Davis saying mm-hmm. that Josh McDaniels is doing a fantastic job and concentrating on just the buy-in that people aren't working hard. Yes, but yeah. I thought what people are willing to put in their body is a really interesting comment. If that's what he meant, oh, I think it's the comment of the whole thing, yep. and that's why this this whole situation. Because I do love this thing, right? Because I'm sure there's maybe some thought uh, in the, the Raiders' locker room or whatever. It's just like, why is this making – no. You made the statement, Derek Carr. You came out and said it. Whether people are focusing on whatever aspect of it, it is something that you came out and said of your own free will. Whether you're emotional or not, it's fine, but you did it. And at the same time, when you have that, coupled with a story in the Las Vegas Review-Journal that singled out a, one player, which was Darren Waller, not anybody else, it was Darren Waller, and you put these things together logically, and you go, well, he's got to be talking about Waller. I mean, what's going on here? And then there's this pushback. It's like, no, that's not the case. Well, like, so then somebody is being wildly, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, reckless with yep. the way that they're talking. Or just lying. That's the other part. About their original content or comment or what was given to Vinny at the paper. Correct. And that's it for. And at the end of the day, what this comes back to for the Las Vegas Raiders is it seems to just be chaotic. They, whether it's losing the games the way that they have, whether it is Derek Carr coming out making the comments that he did and the report coming out of the Raiders camp, because whatever it was that Vinny you know, got, he clearly got it from somebody in the Raiders, and it was enough where he wrote a story about it. 
Like, this is chaos of their own creation. And at this point right now, with the way that this season has gone, of course we're going to focus on this because it seems like absolute madness right now with the way that this thing is kind of melting down all around, almost every single facet, on the field, off the field, commentary, everything. I'd be so irked these days where there's an open locker room having to answer questions based on Derek Carr's comments and the leak story about Waller. Yeah. I would be so annoyed. Like, I, if I'm another player, you know, whatever position, like, I'm trying to do, as they say, my 111. Yeah. I'm trying to help us get out of the doldrums, and now i got to answer this nonsense? I, this is bull crap. I mean, I'm fascinated by what Darren Waller thinks. I really am. Uh, like, right? Like, if you not only and when you initially hear the comments from Carr, you're probably like, that doesn't register with him. But then you hear those comments, and then the story in the RJ, and you see that. I would be fascinated to hear what Darren Waller thinks about everything. Right? Is that a right thing to think? Because I, yes. I think it would be yes. incredible to, yes. like, to pick his brain on that and yes. actually get a true response. Uh, that guy's pretty cool as a cucumber. I'm guessing he's not. With all that he's gone through in life, yeah. I'm guessing he's not reacting to it real strongly. And I'm sure that he probably knows the source or suspects the sources of it. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's just more of a mess around a 2-7 and seven team that can't get it right on the field as 0-6 in one-score games. And something clicked a year ago, whether it was the coaching or the chemistry or, hey, you know what, 50-50 plays sometimes go on a streak, and sometimes you get a lot of them, right? You get the three or four plays you need in a close game to win. Last year they were 7-2. and two. This year they're 0-6 yep. in one-score games. You know, the other reason it's really important, especially since Carr's the guy who did it, the quarterback, I think, is graded differently on the leadership scale. Like, there are different expectations. Listen, everyone's not talking every week. Carr talks every week. So there's a different level of responsibility when he's repping the offense and repping the team. And uh, fellow college quarterback, Caleb Herring, who's a regular with us and does the UNLV broadcast, was on yesterday and he went right to it. He's like, I just I don't see this being the right direction for the quarterback. These comments are not what a quarterback should be doing. I did not see good leadership. And that what he did was create a divide by saying some guys are willing to do these things and put these put these things in their bodies just to go to sleep at night. I'll never unhear that. The way he said that, he's talking about somebody in the locker room that's not willing to do it. And I don't think that's good leadership. At a time like this, where your franchise kind of in disarray, Yes, be emotional, show that it matters, but once you start throwing guys under the bus, so to speak, at the podium, it becomes a different thing. That took away any sense of authenticity of his emotions that were pouring out at that point. I didn't buy it. I Just being honest, I didn't buy the production. I didn't buy the tears. I didn't buy because the message was lost in, in the finger pointing. Is that just mean from a not-so-mean guy? Caleb's not a mean guy, and he's like, I didn't buy the production? I didn't buy the tears? Whoa. I mean, to, if I'm being completely honest, I didn't either. It came across. Are you being mean? I don't think so. I think it came across as very forced, to be quite frank. And by the way, this was thrown out there. He does sound a lot like Elvis in that clip when he's crying. It is kind of odd. But I, What I, did I, you think of Inland Empire guy impersonation of Fresno guy? Is that what it you was? See, I, well, I, it's a Fresno guy, and... Caleb's from the Inland Empire. I'm just saying oh, in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All of a sudden, he's a uh, you know, man of a thousand voices here. What's going on? <laughs> I thought Caleb's was pretty good. It was pretty good. <laughs> it sounded solid. Um, no, I, I agree with everything you said. Like that, why, how in the world, and I think you brought this up when we talked about it on Tuesday, how is that productive? How does that help a team 
that is dealing with just absolute chaos from a results standpoint. How does your quarterback come out there and say, hey, there's some people that aren't trying hard enough? How does that help you at all? And then, it's going to motivate him. Right. It's a kick in the ass. But, but it's going to motivate him, John. But here's the thing. If it was a motivation tactic, yeah. right, because it's not, but if it was, you don't walk it back three days later and go, ah, I think, you know, we weren't really talking about anything. It's fine. You know, let's move on. Like, no, you don't get to do that. I don't like the way this is unfolded at all. And now they're trying to do damage control. It just makes it worse. The whole thing's weird. It, it really is. is. The other one that people pointed out, and Willie started on this yesterday, was the changing narrative that this Raiders team was in a build. They won't say rebuild. It was in a build. They added a $29 million receiver and traded away two picks. And they added a 17 mil per year defensive end. That's a build? That's a, that's a build. No. It's ridiculous. Well, I mean, how can you say with a straight face that we knew this would take time? Well, because now that they're now they're two and seven or whatever the record is, right? That's why. That's why it's a build all of a sudden, because they completely failed at what their original goal was. They were a ten win team last year that made it to the postseason and tried to maximize their window by shipping off assets to get the best wide receiver in football. It's not a build. We all know that's not a build. And frankly, I mean, I think it's kind of embarrassing that they're trying to go down that route now. If it was a build, why would you? Because we know what the the car deal was. That was a bump in guaranteed money for one plus years that they can get out of. Mm-hmm. But if it's a build, why would you sign Waller? Why would you sign Renfro? Why would you bring in Jones? I mean, I understand you have to you have to build with someone. So I'm not going to say why would you sign Crosby. I think he's he's a building block. Yeah, he's one of the building blocks. He's kind of your only building block at this point. But I would say, you know, like, no. That's I mean, I think, I think Renfro is, even though he's an older guy getting his first big contract, he, you can build around him. Right. And I, I have no idea what's going to happen with Adams. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if Carr goes after the year, which Adams, yeah, Adams is a pretty smart guy. Adams had to know when, I assume the players saw this whole contract announcement with Carr in the offseason about the extension, and they looked at it and they're like, well, that's not really a true extension because he's not guaranteed anything beyond one year. I like I assume Adams is prepped for life without Carr. I would think so. Or, or are we going to get, you know, well, I came here for Derek Carr, so now I want out too. I mean, maybe it was a, maybe he knew it, but it was a gamble on his part. In that, hey, I think that we're going to be successful enough this coming season that they're going to want to pay Carr and keep him around because our connection is going to be good and we're going to make it back to the playoffs and yada, yada, yada from there. Okay. Can I sell you on this one? Just because Josh McDaniels never said it was going to take time and it was a build to us, the public, do you think he told Mark Davis that, and now that's why Davis is like, hey, he's doing a fantastic job. Like, basically, did Ziegler and McDaniels come in and go, you know what, You know, we looked at the numbers, you crunch them, you guys had a fortunate year a year ago, you made the playoffs, you went 10-7, and seven, but here are the facts, you went 7-2 and two in close games, you know, this analytic service had you 21st in the NFL, the wins outperformed the actual numbers like we're not that good so mark we're going to give it a run in the first half if it doesn't work this is going to be a build but understand this is not a win instantly thing that's probably not going to happen do you think he told mark davis that i mean was that and and that's why now you know mcdaniels is like well you know we knew it would take a while but we just didn't tell you because we couldn't say that at the beginning of the season so so i I just i told i told i told md 
But I didn't tell you guys. So I just rushed to look up the timelines. He's hired at the end of January. They trade for Devontae Adams in March. If you thought it was a rebuild, then why'd you tell them to trade for Devontae Adams? Or why did you at not least, I don't know, maybe behind the scenes he pushed really hard to not trade for Devontae Adams. But if it was a build, then why'd you why Here's you my there? plan, Mark. We're going to keep Carr, and we're getting Adams to maximize Carr. But if it doesn't work, then we may stink. We'll draft a, we'll draft a quarterback, and then he'll walk in with Devontae Adams as his guy. Nothing. You don't think all that was verbalized? Like, yeah. here are the two plans. It may work, but if it doesn't, here's here's plan B. Right, build. And we'll also plan ship, build. We'll also ship off assets. So even if we luck into getting that franchise quarterback in the next year, we'll have no means of building around him in any other way, shape, or form. I don't think you have to put that part in. It ruins my narrative. <laughs> right. I no look look. I, I think it's it's almost insulting to try to sell it as a build at this point right now. I'm trying to help him. Yeah, I get it, but like at the end of the day, call it what it is. It is a failed experiment, maybe is not the right term. It was a failed experiment. The season is not going as they have planned. It is now starting to fall apart with the narratives that are coming out of the locker room themselves. But at the end of the day, the failure is on everybody in that building, and now it's starting to just go off the rails. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at me, JVT, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Picks the ball back to Gilbert. Gilbert penetrates. Gilbert gets his man in the air, puts up with the right hand, and in over two much taller players. Keyshawn gives the Rebels the lead, 42-41. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Fun game on a Tuesday night. UNLV takes out the number 21 team in the country. Rebels up to, I think, 101 in Ken Palm. Dayton down to 30. They were 22, so... Got to log some quality wins before you get into conference. We'll get into the Mountain West Conference here in a second. I think it's uh, it has a chance to be a pretty good conference with a good competition, one through eight or nine, which means multiple teams could make the NCAAs, except this year, got to win games too. Mm-hmm. But goal number one is for the Rebels to finally get back to the NCAAs, and it starts with piling up a lot of wins in the non-con, and they're not playing a murder schedule in the non-con. But what they are playing is a lot of quality teams between, like, Dayton, 30, down to about 170. Now, they've got a couple of cream puffs on there. You don't want too many of those. But as an example, Friday night, they're going to play High Point, who's averaging 100 points a game. We'll, we'll get to that at some point. But to go back to the Dayton game, I thought it was really important to set a tone in that one that this is the style of basketball that the Rebels are going to play, John. Not only is the goal to turn the other team over a lot, play fast as you can, active hands, steals, but they're going to go mostly with a small lineup, and they're going to press the issue, you want to play big, then we're going to punish you. And sometimes it's not going to look attractive. Like sometimes the big, you know, the, that was a big Dayton team. Sometimes they're going to look like the dominant team. But you can't freak out. Right. No, I think you're right. And, like, look, the, the small stature of the, the Rebels, it helps and hurts them. Their small stature allows them to be super switchable. Right, because either way, if you're switching against a bigger guy, it's a mismatch no matter pretty much who's on it, except for like a Mawaka type. So yeah, sure, we'll switch one through four, one through five. We're going to be pretty comfortable doing that kind of stuff. So that really helps you in that regard. It also kind of hurts you on the boards, which we saw in that first half. If was, by the way, that. if you let it hurt you on the boards, it's right. not an insurmountable thing, and I think that's what Kevin Kruger's trying to trying to get across. I talked to Kruger just a couple hours ago about you know big v small and effort. Um, and I'm at the beginning of this, so we'll kind of lead you into what Kevin Kruger said about lineups and intent. How important was the last game? You know, you talked about the rebounding is, is about, you know, intent. 
uh, not about size, but how important was it to come back, you know, out-rebound them 19-13 to kind of set that tone that, hey, we can play small, we can have a small four, and we can still beat big teams on the board if you do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's it's huge because, uh, you know, then we don't answer as many questions about why we don't just play our five tallest people. And uh, and that and that's good because, uh, you know, it, it, but like you said, it's about intent. It's about drive. Uh, you know, defensively, I think that – the largest reason we were able to, to rebound the way we did is because we, we we kind of were able to get Dayton to take the shots that are a little more familiar to what we've been doing defensively. And and on the offensive end, it's a little tougher to rebound if some shots are out of maybe a little out of sync or out of character for what you've been doing. Um, it's harder to offensive rebound that way, which is exactly what we tell our guys. If you take a shot that is out of character, out of rhythm of what we're, we're trying to do, it's uh, you can't really expect anybody to go get it for you if you miss. And uh, but uh, I think, yeah, again, the intent of the defense was those guys were in sync together. They, uh, they had a mindset and an attitude that they, they were going to force the shots they wanted to force. And, uh, you know, it, I think it made the team rebounding that much uh, you know, more of an opportunity to do so. Is there also a mindset in general that if the other team is going to go big that you guys can punish them as the smaller team by, you know, forcing them to handle the ball and, you know, maybe they have to get more guards on the floor? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to be, you know, in every situation, something's got to give in either direction. So if, if they're going to be bigger and, and try to be more physical in the paint, then we've got to do a better job of not letting the ball get there. You know, and you, you just kind of got to play that, I think, that little you know, you know, seesaw match back and forth where, you know, we had to keep the ball extended. Had we not, it'd probably be a different story. But the guys did an unbelievable job of keeping the ball away from the three-point line. The high-low, the, the over-the-top passes weren't there as much in the second half, and uh, but mostly just because uh, the guys did a really good job pushing that ball out and making the making Dayton run their run their offense from 30 plus feet. Really good stuff there, good deep divey stuff. The beginning, I think he was referencing my question, and a lot of people probably didn't hear it, but I asked a question at the half. They were down 21-10 on the boards against Dayton, and I asked a question, do you have to go double big? And he kind of like threw his head back and was like, come on. And... So I didn't ask if all the, the, they should put the five biggest players out. What I was asking about I is... I love a front line of yeah. Carl Jones and right. David Bullock. And, and they can do that, but I don't think they believe that defensively that's what they want to be. You know, whether it's Vicky Wako at 6'7 and Muoka at 6'11, or as you mentioned, Carl Jones, eventually Isaiah Cottrell. I do wonder if there are going to be times when they play Muoka and Cottrell together, but down the road when Cottrell's healthy in about two or three weeks. But I thought the most important thing out of that was... Making the other team take shots that you want them to take, and the biggest thing was at the end because you don't think about that, right? Entry passes to a team that's gigantic like Dayton was become real difficult if you're trying to freaking throw them in, feed the post from 24 feet. Mm-hmm. So you you know you you push the offense out with the guards, and then all of a sudden everything becomes discombobulated in terms of what they're running. Yeah, no, it's a really great point by them and. Look, I, th- I think at the end of the day, too, when it comes to their whole deal with rebounding, you know, I go back, I can't remember, it was really late in the game, but it was a key bucket for them, or a key rebound for them, and I watched specifically, and it just sticks out to me, Keyshawn Gilbert had one of their 6'9 dudes, right? It was a rebound opportunity. Gilbert reaches back, feels the guy, and just shoves his butt right into him and boxes him out, and he boxed him out hard. UNLV got the rebound really cleanly. Like, it, it can be a thing done by smaller guys as long as you just find dudes and are willing to box them out. And, you know, we talked about it on, uh, on the uh, – what day was that? What day was that already? Monday? Tuesday? Whatever it was. Um, about also not being – like, it's great that you're willing to go out and run, but you've also – part of defense is getting defensive rebounds instead of really just sprinting out and, ah, you know, somebody else will get it. And I thought that was a really big difference when you watched him in the second half. Yeah, he also – he talked about protecting the defensive glass if – 
three or four of the guys on the opposition are pushed out 17 to 22 feet. When a shot does go up, a bomb goes up from three, you know, front rims, back rims, and there's a long rebound. Guess what? There's no one in that middle range, and there's probably only one player on the opposition even in the paint to grab the rebound. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a fan of small ball. You know that. We've talked about this a lot. And I'm a fan of, hey, you want to go gigantic, then we're going to torture you and be more athletic and force you to handle the ball. And Dayton was without its starting point guard, and they were big. They were they were they were playing wings and even two guards who were you know six six and not not like a wispy six six like two fifteen two twenty and you know you start making guys like that handle the ball you know if you let the whole game get crunched into the you know a fifteen foot circle around the basket then yeah it's a different game so I thought good game plan and they really executed it well in the second half more coming up on the rebels a little later on as they get ready for a game tomorrow against High Point that is a seven o'clock start with a six thirty pregame uh, running rebel warm up right here on ESPN Las Vegas but. Xavier Pope is on every Thursday. Want to get his opinion of uh, Derek Carr and the Raiders and then a bunch of different lawsuits. He's our legal insider on Thursdays. Bunch of different lawsuits involving current NFL players. Thursdays are your chance to win a $100 gift card from Walmart, Amazon, or Visa every 30 minutes from 6 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. all November long at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. When we're in the locker room, in certain areas, there's no coaches, you know, and certain things that were said were said and addressed and handled like men. I'm proud of the way we handled it, honestly. And what you saw from me was just frustration. I'm going to do my best. I know everyone wants to ask about that because I was very upset, obviously, but I'm going to do my best to just move on to the next game. But to answer those questions, it was addressed, but no coaches were around where we were when that happened. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, is live on Cofield and Company. A much more together, Derek Carr, talking about players-only dealings, trying to clean up things, clean up a mess that, frankly, he started to create on Sunday by coming out all weepy and sniffly and crying. Don't worry, they handle it like men. Yeah, that's another one of those. Uh, didn't Bart Scott... Have an issue the other day on ESPN National where he, he I think he called he called Derek Carr a girl. No. And then quickly didn't yes. he bounce back quickly and say, Well girl girls are tougher. Yeah. So girls are still lesser the lesser sex, Steve. Don't get that wrong. So it's but men tougher than So it's men, then girls, then Derek, then Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Right. Okay. According to Bart Scott. Jesus. <laughs> Xavier Poe was with us. You like this kind of language, Xavier? It's wonderful. Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah. Um and, I mean, what do you what do you expect? Also, you all from a losing football team. Um, the team is pathetic. Um, that's not what people thought. But I mean, I've I've, I've criticized um, the head coach Josh Mayo uh, plenty of times. He's feeling checks. Never has won a, won anywhere he's been. Um, I don't know why the guy is leaving. The team. What do you think, or what did you think when you saw some of the clips of Derek Carr crying after the game? Uh, you know, is the guy sincere or not? I mean, <laughs> does he actually care? I mean, I, I think that's always something to be questioned. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, he's a pretty emotional guy on the sideline. I mean, so, I mean, whether that plays out to being toxic and how he's done it, I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, do you believe him? Do you have? Do you have? Do you think he's sincere in his behavior? Or? Both both JVT and I not so much. Now I uh, the problem was the problem was he cried and then halfway through then he pivoted to calling out teammates. Right. So I think it, I sometimes I think Derek is kind of well orchestrated and at times 
he can set you up to feel him, and then something comes out where you're like, ooh, okay. So that was the real intent of this whole thing. So you think it was manipulative on Derek Carr's part to, to take project off of himself and his play and use this to say, I'm the leader of this team, but don't blame me, blame my teammates. Pretty much. Silence. <laughs> the, the silence is agreement. Yes, well said. Yes. I, I mean, I can bring up examples in the past where I, I feel like he was being a bit manipulative um, for a, you know, an end game. So, uh, and, and now here's the thing. He's now created a, a, an environment this week where other players have to answer what he said about, hey, which players are not putting in max effort. And as a teammate, I don't think you want to be put in that position by your quarterback. And that, that's, that's the nature of teams that lose, though, right? I mean, teams, eventually the, the culture starts to break down. And then I started out talking about the coach. Got to head to the coach. I mean, so this is just one of the, the first steps you're going to see of a team deteriorating because it's not doing well in the field. Right. And not and as you started out by throwing you know lobbing bombs away at Josh McDaniels, a lot of people had questions about McDaniels' leadership coming into this based on what we had heard from Bronco Land. And uh, believe me, yep. former Bronco players have been more than willing to come on Las Vegas radio <laughs> and just smash Josh McDaniels. And these are the times when you really see leadership from a coach in that a team doesn't get fractured. If they're holding it together, you don't hear about any of this stuff. Exactly. It's not that simple. You mean it's and it's not even. You know, stuff sneaking out. It's it's in the open. Um, this is not how you lead a team. Um, this is not something that people in Raider land should be excited about the future of this team. Team's going nowhere right now. Xavier Pope is with us, attorney out of Chicago, cultural contributor on Cofield and Company. So let's talk some lawsuits. We see um, Aaron Patrick, NFL players, going after the Chargers, going after SoFi going after ESPN, going after a mat company because he suffered an injury on the sideline uh, when he stepped on some mats that were covering up uh, monitor cords and, and cables. He might have a shot here. I mean, I'm basing this on the fact that Reggie Bush got like $12 million from the Rams back in 2018 for something similar when he went to the sidelines and just slipped on some concrete and jacked up his legs. Yeah, you have to consider it is expected in terms of signing a contract in the National Football League. Um, that you're, you could potentially get hurt on the field of play. Um, but um, it is that does not extend to parts of the field that's not in the field of play. That's designed that when players go off the field of play that they're going to be safe. And so um, there are much more protections that the league has to have for places like that because it's not a surface that you play on, right? <laughs> Exposed concrete, that's not a football field. Uh, um, having... Uh, hidden cameras and, and, tech and, and equipment in a space where you don't know where it's at, um, that's not the football field. So it's definitely something that – that's the first thing I thought about it. It's just basic legal theory, um, and then you apply that to National Football League. Uh, it looks like there might, uh, there might be a, definitely a probable seat of, of some victory there. Who, who would, just real quick, who would be at fault? Would it be the stadium? Would it be the person who put the cables down? Who would actually be at fault for that? Because it wouldn't be every single one of the people, right? Uh, potentially, they could be joint. That's what joint and several liability is all about. Okay. Just because, hey, the stadium may be seventy-five percent responsible doesn't mean uh, it, there may be other parties that make up that hundred percent. So that's something to be determined in terms of handing out the war to that case. So we've talked a lot about crypto over the years, and you said, you know, and I see you tweet it all the time. You know, buyer beware. You can <laughs> kind of see this coming. This FTX collapses. 
And now a really interesting lawsuit is coming out, class action lawsuit going after the people, the athletes, the celebrities who endorsed on behalf of FTX. Does Tom Brady, Giselle Bunchen, and others, they have a chance to lose. Like, they already got beat, you know, on this deal. They lost money that way. Are they going to, now they're going to lose in court and have to pay out more money? I mean, consider that they are people to promote the product. Um, and it's, it, it makes them less responsible for the actual, the actions of the company. They're not, they don't have a fiduciary responsibility to other people that have invested. And when you invest, there are rules that pretty much determine the type of investor you are. That being said, if you have ownership stake in any of these companies, then that puts you on the hook if you're now promoting yourself and stands in a position that you are inducing people in, into that relationship. Uh-oh. And that makes it look more nefarious and makes them potentially more on the hook. Uh-oh. You know, one of the crazy things in this, and I'm sure you saw this, the I think it was this Super Bowl commercial Larry David was one of the pitch people for this company, and his whole bit was, don't buy it. I'm always right. Don't buy it. So now Larry David's getting sued, but his, his bit was, don't buy it. That's, we all knew or know that that was just a bit, right? I mean, right. that's Larry David. Right. He wasn't saying explicitly, don't buy it. Right. Hey, these are the ways that I, you should buy it because I'm funny. That would be a tremendous uh, moment for a lawyer, though, to scream and yell and be like, he said, don't buy it. Yeah, and a judge will laugh him out of court. Yeah, well, that's why, that's why I'm not an attorney, because that's all I would do is just scream and yell and, and uh, shack the fool. Um, more serious story. Did you see the owner of the house that Ann Hache crashed into and Ann Hache passed away eventually from the accident, now that that house owner is suing the estate of Ann Hache? That's, that's crazy. I mean, but it, 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 it makes sense from a legal standpoint. I mean, that, that sounds very serious. But, I mean, this is property damage. Um, they have a, a, a claim. Uh, it's, it's actually a slam dunk, unfortunately. Um, people will look at them in a, in a, in a neg- negative and derogatory way, but um, you have to consider the circumstances of what happened. I mean, they still are harmed in that particular case, as cold as it may seem. Xavier Pope is with us. Yep, Xavier Pope is with us. You can find him up on Twitter. He does Suit Up News. We'll talk about Suit Up News here in a second. First of all, are you okay? I was uh, reading on social media. Were you in a ride share and got into an accident? Dude, this happened last night. I'm in a ride share. I'm four blocks from where I'm going. And a car is veers off the lane and hits us. The car, it doesn't look like that much damage. Someone jumps off the car, starts yelling at us, yelling at us at a, like it's our fault. Then I'm trapped in the car because safety locks on. I'm like, let me out. And then, then the 911 call comes on the Bluetooth, and then I had to talk to the 911. They're like, you can't leave the scene until we get there. Oh, my and I had God. to give them the story. It was crazy, but I'm okay. Wait, so really quickly, how does that work for your Uber? Do you get a refund? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got a refund right away. Nice. But I, 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 I demanded some ride credits. I mean, that was some trauma yeah. I faced. I mean, I, I'm a lawyer. I'm always going to ask more than just a refund. That's right. <laughs> Did you get ride credits? I'm, I'm waiting on that response now. They're taking a while. Ooh, um, yeah. if, you know, if they don't take too long, I'm going to bring it to social and tell them that they're taking too long. Let's do it. Yep, I love this. I love this. We all need an attorney on our side in situations like that. <laughs> um, I, Were you I, wearing a suit? I wasn't. I was about to go <laughs> teach yoga. Okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right, I'm going to admit some fault in this. I don't want to be sued for it because I, I don't think there's a, this is actionable. But, you know, for years and years and years, I talked about cutting the cord. And, you know, let's just go a la carte. 
Um, I'll say it again. A la carte sucks. Um, I don't like what's happening. Did you see the note that a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving will not be on regular TV? It's going to be behind a paywall. I mean, everything now is behind a paywall on TV. But they're not. It's not behind a paywall though. They're offering it to non-subscribers for a, a limited amount of time. So in and around the time that Charlie Charlie's uh, Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving, people will get a chance to watch it. And that's the only time in the year people really watch this. So all this is is just using um, purchasing this content to induce you to buy Apple Plus. I mean, I I, don't, I think it's a smart business idea. No one's really quote unquote harmed by it. Your Apple, and most a lot of people have iPhones. It'd be so easy to download it and watch it. It's not and stream and it shoot it off to your TV. Not a big deal. All right, you calm me down. Do people really care. Uh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it is harder now than ever to find the classics. Crank it up. Right now. <laughs> What's going on? Crank it up. It's the Peanuts Christmas song or whatever. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the filthy kid? <laughs> oh, Pigpen? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ari. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times my mother called me Pigpen for the uh, status of my, my room. It was, not, it was not good as a child. Um, is, very, is the lady still call, calling you Pigpen to this day, right, huh? Uh, you know what's funny? We're, it's, uh, I found another Pigpen. So uh, the, the hoarding, <laughs> is, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's not, the house isn't filthy. It's just cluttered. I've been there. There's just, there's just clutter. You've been there. Okay. This one's very important. Okay, we just had an election. Um, I want change. Everyone told us there's going to be change, so I don't know who it is. Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, I don't know. You, whatever. Ted Cruz. Whoever. Someone get after Ticketmaster. What is going on? And not that I'm a Swifty, but what is going on with Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster? Because people are freaking outraged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just a bunch of people flooded the site to buy the pre-order tickets for her tour for the new album that people are going nuts about. And it just crashed their whole system and put people, they couldn't discern the order of how to deliver tickets. And um, Ticketmaster is no longer the master of tickets. So no, they, they shouldn't be. They, they have a monopoly pretty much on selling tickets, and they couldn't even do that. Like, that was your job. <laughs> right? you, uh, you mentioned the dirty M word. I thought monopolies are generally broken up at some point. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the industry. I mean, name someone else besides Ticketmaster. I mean, we've got one locally that we deal with with uh, AXS, but yeah, there's there's not a lot of options. Exactly. <laughs> it's you messy. know, and the whole thing happened with Travis Scott. I mean, people were like trying to cancel Travis Scott at the time, but it was Ticketmaster also was part of the responsibility for that. And people would you had no other option. They couldn't cancel Ticketmaster, so they could. That's the only way to get tickets. Xavier, I got like thirty seconds left, so I know you talked about Jeff Saturday and coaching hirings and suit up news, right? Yeah, I talked about, like, there was a study done um, on by the Houston Chronicle and over 100-plus jobs about how coaches get jobs in the National Football League. It showed a large disparity between um, the connections that black coaches get versus white coaches, and that's how you see right there with Jeff Saturday and having the, the relationship with the general manager and the team. Um, it's it's, it's is The data shows it. It's not just something people to, to, to conjecture about. It. It's real data behind the facts. Xavier, have a wonderful weekend. Don't overdo it with the yoga, man. You're showering way too much. Way too much. <laughs> Five times a day, man. I saw that. Five, Five times, times a day. You're not going to be skin left. All right, Xavier. We'll talk to you, buddy. <laughs> Love you guys. Later.